Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, in the first of a short series of special programmes, we're looking back at the recent UBS European Conference in London and picking out a few of the key panels and themes to explore in greater depth. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking about equity markets and taking a deeper dive into gender equality in economics too. As regular listeners may recall from previous iterations, the conference is an annual gathering of more than 100 European CEOs and features presentations, panel discussions, a programme of one-on-one and small group meetings and plenty of networking opportunities. In today's edition of the show, we're starting with the outlook for 2024 in the United States and across the Atlantic in Europe and the UK too. Let's meet the panel. Jonathan Pingle is Chief US Economist at UBS. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us once again. We're going to talk about the US then. Let's look ahead to 2024. I'm fascinated to hear what everyone at the conference has been saying. What are the expectations? Will the US economy, uh, well, it outperformed, I guess, in 23? More of the same in the next 12 months? The US economy outperformed to a surprising degree in 2023. I mean, certainly surprising to us. And in fact, in part because of that outperformance, we think it's going to be difficult to repeat that in 2024. When we think about you know, what happened in 2023, consumers proved substantially more resilient in their spending than we thought. Um, they entered the year with much more liquid and strong balance sheets than we thought. And there was a surprisingly rapid private sector response uh, to the Biden administration's fiscal programs. I mean, normally when you think about you know, wonky fiscal stimulus or legislation, you know, there's increments each year that sort of go out the door. But we saw an absolutely tremendous reaction in manufacturing, plant construction, and other forms of stimulus in 2023. And in fact, the magnitude was large enough but that also is going to be hard to repeat. I mean, you know, you've pushed up the level of activity substantially. Now it's going to be it's going to require a certain amount of fiscal spending just to maintain that level of activity. So in our view, that means that the actual sort of growth is pretty likely to slow in 2024. And we think it's going to underperform consensus expectations, probably to a meaningful degree. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And obviously, the rising rates picture has been has been interesting. What should we expect if we look at rates in, in 24, uh, Jonathan? Do you think that they'll be lowered more? Well, I don't know. Could they lower even more than, than we're expecting at present? Well, we're looking right now, we think the level of interest rates in the U.S. is actually relatively restrictive for the U.S. economy, right? So, you know, the Fed raised rates quite rapidly in 20. 22 and 2020 into 2023. But we think the Fed was really fighting this, you know, expansionary fiscal policy. So you didn't see that much impact. But now with the, you know, the sort of the the boost to the economy from fiscal spending behind us, we think the economy is going to be much more exposed and less insulated, you know, from the higher interest rates. So we think the higher interest rates in 2024 are going to have a material impact on growth, pushing down inflation quite rapidly, and that the Fed is going to turn around and lower interest rates. And in fact, we think the Fed will end up in 2024 by lowering interest rates much further than consensus expects. 
Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's funny, I, I think we've spoken before about this sort of higher for longer. It's a refrain that's become this very uh, familiar narrative, uh, you know, if we talk about the, the, the markets. But let, let's talk about that that tightening. Um, and I suppose the question is, you know, how soon and, and how how far will the FOMC, what are people saying where, where you are, Jonathan? Well, I mean, in the States, you know, there is a fair amount of discussion about higher for longer and what that implies for Fed policy. One thing that is an important nuance is that when you listen to the Federal Reserve Board chair or the vice chair, they tend to use the phrase restrictive for longer, which is actually, I think, very different than higher for longer. Both Chair Powell, you know, FOMC Vice Chair John Williams, you know, and a few other participants have talked about how they're targeting a real rate. And if inflation is falling fast enough, they may need to cut rates just to keep the same amount of restrictiveness. So when we think about higher for longer, we think what the Fed really means is restrictive for longer. And if inflation is falling faster than they expect, uh, they would probably be willing to trim nominal rates you know, sooner um, than they expect. Now, the, really, the, though, I think the bigger issue is what unfolds to um, the economy as we roll through the course of the year. You know, we are expecting a rise in the unemployment rate, and we think that that labor market contraction uh, would prove very disinflationary. Also, Federal Reserve historically has been very, very sensitive um, to labor market contractions and increases in the unemployment rate. So if inflation is falling fast enough, um, we could imagine a rate cutting cycle and we're forecasting a rate cutting cycle that goes from just sort of modest tinkering that is, you know, maybe a little more than market pricing. But if the unemployment rate starts rising, you know, we think there's going to be a transition to, you know, much deeper cuts in order to really stop the rise in the unemployment rate and try to re-engineer labor market expansion. Yeah, interesting stuff. Now, Jonathan, obviously 2024 is a, a general election year and there's often a bit more of a focus on the budget deficit around that time for understandable reasons. We've got a pretty historically wide budget deficit, which has been unusual given that the employment picture has been pretty robust until uh, now. Tell me, what do you think will we should expect to see in terms of fiscal policy reacting to that? I mean, can it be? Should it be as supportive of growth in the next 12 months as it was this year? Um, I don't know. Is, the, is that focus on the deficit, is that even helpful at times like these? I think we're seeing a little bit more focus on the deficit now than we were, you know, certainly a year ago. And we think fiscal policy will be much less expansionary in 2024 than it was in 2023. And in fact, you know, basically neutral. And there are some outside forecasters like the Brookings Institution that actually think in 2024, you'll have fiscal drag. So it'll actually be a restraint on growth in 2024. But you brought up the presidential election and there are pretty large fiscal consequences at stake in the upcoming elections. You know, at the end of 2025, the 2017 tax cuts expire, and that's about a $2.8 trillion tax increase that's already in current law. So if Congress and the White House don't do anything, you know, we basically would be hit with a $2.8 trillion tax increase at the end of 2025 through 2033, you know, the wonky budget window. 
But that's one of the things that's going to have to come up in the presidential election because that needs to be addressed in early 25. And we also will hit the debt ceiling again in early 2025. That's not going to be long after November's presidential election. And how the two parties would likely deal with extending the tax cuts or not, you know, is pretty different. You know, one side would like to cut spending more, the other side would like to raise taxes more. So the fiscal outcomes are pretty meaningful um, when we think about the upcoming presidential election. Jonathan, perhaps just a final thought. Uh, Lots of conversation through 23 about uh, the likelihood, the probability of a soft landing for the US. What's the US consumer role in this in terms of delivering a soft landing or not? Is that still a germane question to ask at this time? Oh, no, I think I think that's a crucial question to ask at this time. I mean, if you think about the structure of the U.S. economy and our growth, you know, about two thirds of final demand is basically consumer spending growth. You know, if consumer spending, if real spending is going to rise, you know, two percent annualized, you can have a lot of other things go wrong in the U.S. economy and have the consumer still sustain the expansion. I mean, that's a little bit what happened in 2023. So the Consumer is absolutely crucial in how you want to think about your 2024 economic outlook, because if the consumer falters, you know, the business sector indicators don't look particularly strong. The surveys are generally weak for an expansion. You know, inventories are not particularly low and corporate investment plans and responses to hiring plans and the surveys are also relatively weak. So if you lose the benefit of this ongoing support from consumer spending, which is two thirds of final demand, the economy is going to weaken pretty considerably. A final thought, Jonathan, on where we're at right now when it comes to the US outlook. What we're seeing unfold right now is inflation falling you know, faster than the FOMC expects. And I think that's actually pretty meaningful for how you want to think about the funds rate. You know, many of our you know, critics and some of the pushback we get is on the degree to which we think the Fed could lower interest rates. A lot of that's predicated on inflation. And I think it is important to note that we are watching inflation fall quite rapidly in the U.S. And it could very easily be down below 3% as we head into early next year. And I think if that really is the case, I think you'll start to change people's minds about you know, this higher for longer and how restrictive the Fed could be throughout the course of the year. Jonathan Pingle. Well, next, let's turn to Anna Titareva, European and UK economist at UBS. Anna, great to have you with us as well. Let me start by asking you about, about well, your geography. What are the expectations when it comes to inflation in 2024? Yeah, so in terms of inflation, we're sort of similar view compared to the U.S., we do expect headline inflation to continue falling. In the Eurozone, we expect that inflation will fall uh, to about uh, 2.4%, that follows 5.5%. Uh, we expect in the U.K. a similar decline uh, with the annual inflation rates averaging uh, 2.4%, 2.5%. So essentially, we think that inflation is now past the peak and uh, the decline will continue into the next year. However, uh, we think that sustained decline to 2% target, both for the ECB and the BOE, uh, will take some time. And uh, we expect that that will that annual inflation rate will reach 2% uh, for both central banks only around 2025 or 2026. 
Let's look at the UK, Anna, and I'd love to ask you about this week's mad political volatility. But let's park that for one second. Um, what's the picture for 24 here in the UK? A gradual recovery? Um, what's, what, how, how would you uh, sum it up? Yeah, sure. I mean, let's take a quick step back and think about growth at the start of this year. So first, it's important to flag that um, in the first half of the year, growth has actually held up significantly better than what we expected. Um, you know, going into this year, there were strong expectations of a recession. Clearly, uh, UK economy has avoided a recession. Last week, we had Q3 GDP numbers. And uh, to us, the key takeaway was that, of course, apart from, um, you know, stagnation, that the headline number showed, uh, we are now seeing clear signs of tight monetary policy biting. Uh, we see it in uh, weak uh, investment numbers and weak consumption numbers. Now, uh, to answer your question, what to expect next year? So we do think that uh, growth uh, will uh, pick up very moderately. Uh, we have very modestly uh, positive growth rates uh, for late this year, so Q4 and early next year, and then a very uh, moderate pickup uh, with growth averaging you know, somewhere around 0.3%, 0.4% quarter on quarter in the second half of the year. In terms of key drivers, uh, we think that the improvement in real incomes, so now with uh, wage growth still at high levels, but headline inflation coming down, we expect this that this improvement in real incomes will be the key driver uh, of uh, recovery in household consumption in the second half uh, of uh, next year. Yeah, and it's interesting, talking to uh, Jonathan earlier about the uh, the Fed, what about the, the Bank of England? It looks like we shouldn't expect further rate hikes from the BOE, and the rate's been held, hasn't it, at the last couple of meetings. Uh, what should we be looking out for, though, and if it comes to that area? So our expectation is that the bank is now done uh, with rate hikes. Um, we now see inflation nicely coming down. We will be getting October number where we would expect to see another significant decline in headline inflation. Labor market continues to ease. So in that sense, we think that essentially uh, there, are, there has been significant progress uh, for the bank to stop. The next stage or the next step to think about is when the bank could start potentially cutting rates. Now, our forecast is that the first rate cut will take place in May next year. However, we do flag risks that it could actually take longer for the uh, first uh, rate cut to take place. And that is essentially a function of the inflation outlook. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we do expect inflation to uh, come down. However, risks remain skewed to the upside largely because of the still uh, loosening but still tight labor markets and still quite high wage growth that keeps services inflation quite high. We were talking to Jonathan about the fiscal policy picture stateside. If we look at the UK, obviously, again, well, it may just be, in, it may even end up being in early in 25, but in the next 12 months or so, we expect a change of the guard politically. How tricky, Anna, does that make looking at you know the, the sort of fiscal pathway for the UK? Because there's, I guess, more uncertainty than there would be, given it could be such a big change, uh, driven by what happens at the ballot box. How do you make sense of that of that picture? Because it, look, it looks a little uncertain as I see it. 
Yes, well, we, we shared this view. I mean, even before we think about the next election, we still have two big fiscal events in the UK. So the autumn statement and then uh, the spring budget. And I would say there are two key concerns or questions. Uh, first is the risk of big fiscal uh, giveaways by the current government. You know, we know that uh, going into the autumn statement, there is some uh, fiscal space for the government uh, to increase spending. And and we do think that they will take uh, advantage of that. And then, of course, uh, we would expect uh, at least some fiscal giveaways at the spring budget ahead of the next election. Uh, second uh, concern is depending on how the next government looks like, uh, what the fiscal policy uh, will look like under the, the new regime. Now, if we look at the latest polls, they do suggest a very comfortable lead uh, for labor. And of course, uh, you know, we would expect that uh, they could increase or it could uh, potentially be somewhat more uh could introduce some more spending um especially with regard to you know greening policies and potentially uh increasing productivity so in terms of our current baseline, uh, we do think that fiscal policy is on track uh, for some fiscal consoli consolidation uh, next uh, year. Uh, but this is uh, largely supported by the fact that uh, a lot of fiscal support that was introduced in the context of the energy crisis is dropping out. So we wouldn't uh, expect a very significant change in, in that sense. However, we do think that uh, potentially we could see uh, some more spending being added uh, over the next uh, few uh, you know, quarters uh, and also when it comes to the next election. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And I know if we just zoom out a little bit and look at the sort of European-wide picture then, what are the key takeaways? I mean, is it interesting to look at fiscal policy, I guess moderate sort of consolidation? You know, if we look at the Eurozone, is it more instructive to look at specific markets? I don't know, what are expectations about how Germany's going to get on? What would you highlight if we look at the sort of Europe-wide picture? Uh, yes, yeah, so in terms of fiscal policy at the Eurozone level, we do expect moderate fiscal consolidation. So we calculate somewhere around half a percentage point, but we do flag that some of that impact will be sort of offset by uh, recovery fund uh, grants that are still coming through. And actually, a lot more is in the pipeline for next year. In terms of the growth picture, we do flag uh, sort of country divergence. Uh, we flag that uh, Germany is in a relatively weak position. We expect uh, slower growth there. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we expect highest growth rates uh, from Spain, which uh, most recently has benefited from very strong rebound uh, in the services and particularly tourism related uh, services. Anna Titareva, and before that, Jonathan Pingle, bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can also join the club and subscribe to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, don't forget to discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. Music.